Hi, I'm Michael Woods, Chief Scientist at the Asian Turfgrass Center, and this is another ATC Cut. I'm going to take a look at a couple new things on the ATC website. I've been posting all kinds of content over there, and I one thing is I put a new slider right at the top. So if you go to AsianTurfGrass.com, I've now made it really easy to find the links to the podcasts and to the newsletter signup page. And if you don't know already, if you love to get more email, and <laughs> I don't, but uh, if, if you actually like to get a notification by email when I post a new blog, and if you want the full content of that right in your email so you can see if it's interesting, you can read it or you can click through to the website and see it in its original form, or you can just delete it. Um, I subscribe to websites generally using an RSS feed, and I read a number of websites where I do get all of the content uh, every time there's an update, but I use that through a RSS feed reader, which I prefer to email. But I've set up an email newsletter for the ATC blog posts where all the new blog posts go into that RSS feed and that goes to an email that you can get. So if you want that and you don't get it, that's something that you can sign up on the ATC newsletters page. And if you like podcasts, I, I made it easy to see those. So I'm going to leave that up on the top of the webpage for a while. I have had it where the top of the page only just showed the new posts. Um, but I'm, I know some people might not know where to get this content, so I make it easier for them. Let's go to the blog. The last post, the last double cut that I did, I talked about fertilizer versus nutrient use. And you can go to the last episode to listen to what I said about that or read that post. Um, it's, it's something that I've been thinking a lot about over the past week, actually, is that how, how it's customary to apply more phosphorus and more potassium and more calcium and more magnesium than the grass can possibly use in this industry. And it seems that there is a bit of improvement. Now, I know a lot of people listening are going to say, hey, that's not me. I'm not applying more than the grass can use. In fact, I'm applying less than the grass can use. And I know there's a lot of people like that out there. And that's wonderful. Um, I'm just talking about what the numbers look like when we look at the industry as a whole. If we start looking at data sets like the GCSA's Nutrient Use Survey or some of these data sets that I've shared from Japan where the golf course superintendents are self-reporting some of their nutrients uh, supply as fertilizer, it's possible to derive this uh, ratio between the nutrients applied and the nutrients that the grass could possibly use. And I think there's opportunities to use less, which I suppose for people who uh, are into that way of thinking about having the same or better turf grass quality with less fertilizer and less cost than MLSN is for you. And the things that I talk about in my seminars and on my website are probably of interest to you. The post I want to talk about today, uh, real quick, is about Chris Tridabaugh's blog. 
And Chris and I did an Office Hours episode. You can listen to that on the Office Hours podcast or watch it on the Office Hours on YouTube. Chris and I talked about his blog about putting green maintenance at Hazeltine National Golf Club really over, over the past year or so, and especially about putting green performance, about measuring how the ball rolls across the surface and measuring when there's any deviations to that. So we talked about the stint meter a lot, the green speed. We talked about the bobble test, which measures the vertical and the lateral deviation. Well, let's not say measure. Let's say it, it gives a score to that. And some people would say that that's too subjective. That can't really be something that could work well. But it turns out, surprisingly, it does work really well. Because when golfers evaluate how the greens are, they're looking at how the ball rolls. And there's research from Doug Lind that shows that the bubble test is quite sensitive to detecting deviations from a true roll. And also that that is something that matches quite closely with what golfers are are looking at too so chris and i talked about that and i just put one more note so in this blog post uh i i mentioned that chris and i had that conversation that's a good conversation that's already been recorded i'm not gonna re uh rehash it here but i talked with somebody after this happened and we chris and i had done this as a live stream and we had a lot of people join us to ask questions and we kind of had a discussion with the people who who were watching chris and i had talked that we might do this for about an hour maybe an hour and 15 minutes but if there were people in the live stream asking questions and and we were having a good discussion we would go ahead and and keep it going as as long as seemed normal and it ended up that we went to about two hours on that discussion well af a couple of days after chris and i had talked i was talking with a a friend who is a golf course superintendent and he said yeah sorry i couldn't join i wanted to but i didn't really know i didn't realize it was happening and i thought about that and i said yeah i because of my travel and so on my my schedule's been a bit hectic a bit wild um, over the past couple of months and it seems like it's going to be for the foreseeable future and uh, I mentioned, wait, yeah, I'm, I think I only gave 48 hours notice on this one. And I'm, I don't want to just constantly be tweeting out or making a new blog post to announce that I've got this coming up. I've got that coming up. Um, and so I thought about it. I said, what, what is the best way probably to be informed when, when I do have something coming up? And I think if you subscribe to my YouTube channel, and because these these live streams the office hours live streams when i actually have guests um, those are something that will get scheduled as an upcoming live stream on youtube so if you click the subscribe button and then click the bell next to it so you get the notifications that's a way that you can be informed definitely you get a notification when it starts um and I, th if you actually go to YouTube or open the YouTube app, I think you'll also see 
um, you may not get a push notification uh, that it's been scheduled, but if you go to the YouTube app, you'll see that it's been scheduled. Um, I'll try to announce these on Twitter in advance. And also I mentioned that I will announce these in the ATC Turf Discord server. So, um, yeah, I, I, I guess we'll just have to see. I've, I think I've done five office hours now and I, I don't want people to miss them because they didn't know that, uh, they were happening, but I also don't want to, uh, clutter everybody's Twitter feed or clutter everybody's, uh, um, RSS feed or, or email with a whole bunch of announcements of I'm going to do this tomorrow. I'm going to do that tomorrow. So I would rather that people just subscribe to YouTube and see that it's scheduled, uh, or, or check out the ATC turf discord, uh, every now and then. So I'm going to scoot ahead to one more post that I think is uh, really interesting, which is what's normal for OM2. And by OM2, I mean the total organic matter, the zero to two centimeter depth at the surface of a root zone. And I'm talking here about the OM2 on golf course putting greens. I guess what prompted me to write this and to look up the data and create these charts that I shared in this post were a couple of conversations that I, I was having simultaneously with two different clients uh, or uh, clients of colleagues, um, people who had done OM2 tests in, in different countries, different hemispheres actually, and they were a little bit surprised that the numbers had gone up. And I think it's something that I want to look into a little bit more too, to understand, to try to understand how the past OM accumulation rate that we can calculate from these data, how that might allow us to predict into the future a little bit more what we can expect to happen. But the one thing that I will say is I'm not so concerned about the number I'm concerned about the putting green performance. And I closed this post with a take home message that I'll get to, but let me describe these charts for those of you who are listening and show these charts and describe them for those of you who are watching. The first chart I showed is a bar chart with total organic material on golf course putting greens. And I split that into cool season and warm season grass. C3 in green is the cool season grass. And for the C4 warm season grass, I put it in orange. And then each bar, I think there's about 70 bars. Each bar represents the median value for one golf course's set of greens that were measured at a particular sample date. So these aren't individual greens. These are a single, a medium value for a golf course on a, on a particular sampling date. So let's say that I was at, um, Bangkok golf club, which Bangkok golf club doesn't have data for this. It's not in here. I'll just use that golf course as an example, uh, just the name. So let's say it was Bangkok golf club. Let's say Bangkok golf club tested six greens and the average value for 
tests that were done on September 15th, uh, 2021 was 6%, then that would be a bar that would be warm season grass and it would be at 6% on this chart. And it's interesting that the lowest value I've measured is on warm season turf. The average was three and a half percent approximately. The highest value was also measured on warm season turf, and that was up to a little bit over 16% on average. And then it's it's pretty consistent, I would say, between those ranges. Um, there, there are a lot of values down around four, five, and then also a lot around six and seven, and quite a bit of both warm and cool season grass up up to about 12%. And above 12%, it's only warm season grass. I've only measured above 12% on warm season grass. Most of these greens, I would say, are performing pretty well. And so I showed this chart and my idea was to show that we can have good greens across a wide range of organic matter levels. And if let's say that I had greens that were at 6% and then after a year, they've gone up to 7% in the big scheme of things compared to the range of values that we see on greens all around the world. I wouldn't be terribly concerned about that so long as the greens continue to perform well as a putting surface. So that that's what I attempted to show here. And I separated it then by species because that first chart is kind of useless, just cool and warm season, but I wanted to show all the data together. And then the second chart is really cool. Of course, as with all of these, I will certainly uh, plan to, I, I think I, I haven't forgotten yet to put a link to the post that I'm talking about in the description of the of the video or in the show notes of the podcast. So if you're interested in these, you can always go and get a link to click through and see what I'm talking about. The second chart is much more detailed because now it breaks it down by seven different grass species on putting greens or, or species combinations because we've got bent grass, Bermuda grass, fine fescue, poa annua, seashore paspalum, zoysia greens, and then that combination of bent grass and poa annua. And those data were extracted from the first chart, shown on the second chart, and it's broken down by species. So sometimes uh, people are like, okay, I've got bent poa greens. I'd like to compare what that what's normal on bent grass. Or I've got bent poa greens let's see how this compares to poa annua or or i've got poa annua i'd like to compare it to bent grass so i separated these just to kind of show roughly what the minimum measurements have been what the maximum measurements have been for particular uh, species on greens and just to get an idea of what's kind of normal and what's a little bit extreme now on the actual om246 report that I provide, there's even more detail because I calculate some probabilities um, associated with a statistical model of the samples for a particular species. 
Um, but this is a different way of looking at it. And I am often playing around with different ways to look at data and different ways to explain things. So I, I had fun uh, putting those charts together. And I mentioned in the report that I do show a little bit more. I, I mentioned in the blog post that I do uh, include a little bit more detail in the report. And I put a link in the post to a sample report that shows those charts. And then I'll, I'll go ahead and quote here. I got some new uh, some new glasses that help me to to see up close when I'm wearing my contacts like I am. So this take home message, so I can read it very clearly. I'll put my glasses on, and that is crystal clear. It actually makes the screen bigger. It's uh, I, I didn't know that this was. If these are like reading glasses or something, I didn't know that that's how they worked. Um, they're different than the type of glasses I use uh, for most of my life. So this says, if you want a take-home message from seeing that OM2 can vary from one course having less than 4% and courses filling up the range in between all the way up to more than 16% organic matter, I will reiterate that I find this most useful as a way to assess the effect of the maintenance work by checking the change in total organic material over time. I explained this in the post that I titled One Simple Trick to Transform Putting Greens from Usually Good to Consistently Great. That is, I can have great greens when the OM2 is 5%, when it's 8%, and when it's 12%. And that actual number where the greens are great that depends on the specific course but within a specific course looking at change over time is remarkably informative about the effects of the maintenance practices and the growing conditions between sampling events and that's something that i want to emphasize the growing conditions what happened between sampling events i think i've often thought about what work we do. I've thought about how much sand we apply and how much coring is done, how much disruption, how much surface area removal is done. And we think about that, but meanwhile, day after day, the grass is growing and producing organic matter. Day after day, the grass is growing and producing more and more organic matter. And if the organic matter is going up, it's going up because the grass is growing and producing it. And then when we do coring and top dressing, the grass needs to recover from that. So the grass is going to grow some more because we put fertilizer. We have to. We have to put fertilizer to cause the grass to grow or else it won't recover from coring and it won't grow through the sand that's applied. And so there seems an opportunity to reduce the growth rate and that reduces the organic matter accumulation. That's something that I think Chris and I talked about quite a bit in, in the office hours that I referred to earlier. And this is something that just keeps popping into my mind as I have conversations with people and they say things like, I applied this much sand and my organic matter went up. And all that I can say is, well, I'm glad you're doing the OM246 testing and 
really, especially looking at this OM2. And if you find that it goes up, what that tells you is that your grass is growing a lot. And and I, I'm not necessarily saying that you want it to stay static, that you want the organic matter to stay static or that you want the organic matter to go down. That That's difficult for me to say. That's more something for you to decide. That's something for the turf manager to figure out. But what I can say is that if the grass, if the organic matter is going up, I'm pretty sure I know where that organic matter is coming from. And I don't think of it so much now as you haven't done enough sand top dressing and you haven't done enough coring. That's not how I think about it. I think about it as maybe the grass produced more organic matter than you expected or more organic matter than you wanted. And if that's the case, maybe the solution to that increase and and a way going into the future to get the organic matter to increase less would be to grow the grass slower. So that's, I mean, I guess, I guess that's a little bit vague and a little bit specific. Uh, it's, it's certainly the way that I'm thinking now, and it's fun for me to talk with turf grass managers growing grass all around the world who are struggling with the challenge of how to produce the best playing surface for the most number of days in the year with the minimal amount of disruption and, you know, just how do you produce great greens, right? How, how do you produce great playing surfaces? So that's something that I'm fascinated by and I really enjoy studying it. And I think the OM2 can be a excellent way to evaluate that and to understand that or to try to understand that a little bit better. Some of it, some of it always remains, it seems a little bit intractable. Well, that's what I wanted to chat with you about today. I really appreciate you listening and watching my uh, ramblings in the double cut where I talk about something that I've already written about. And I hope that it's interesting when I provide a little bit of some of the background uh, reasoning and a little bit of elaboration on these topics because I don't want to just write on the blog every little detail. I'm just trying to convey on the blog, in the post, the key points that I want to get across. But of course, when I actually talk with my friends about it, I go on and on and try to explain it until they uh, either understand it in the same way that I do and, and agree with me, or until they tell me that my reasoning is not quite right. And uh, I, then I can learn and, and hopefully uh, correct myself and, and, and think more clearly about the topic. So um, I guess I'm, I'm just kind of having this kind of discussion with you now. And I think that's pretty cool that so many people uh, also are interested in these topics. So that's it for this episode. I've still got uh, a lot more to share, but it's not going to be today. So uh, for ATC in Bangkok, I'm Michael Woods. Bye-bye.